We are in the Radically Normal series. On August the 5th in 1914, in Cleveland, Ohio, in America, there was an incredibly significant, it was an incredibly significant day, but there was an incredibly significant invention that first operated there in a public capacity on that day that changed the face of the transport industry as we know it today. It would be widely accepted and utilized in almost all countries around the world except present-day Zimbabwe. That invention was the first ever electric traffic light. <laughs> now, many in Zimbabwe have not learned to use these amazing inventions, <laughs> either through lack of power, either through the flashing amber, but many other nations of the world have managed to conquer the significance and gain the benefit of this amazing invention. For some of you amongst us who maybe have also never heard of this invention, who have never really understood what these strange flashing lights on poles are all about, I'm here to tell you that right now. Green, when you see the green light, that means proceed. That means go. When you see the amber light, that means prepare to stop rather than speed up to make it through before it gets red. I have been fined for that before. I had a long conversation with a policeman. I tried to say that it was safer for me to accelerate through than to stop halfway in the middle, but he didn't take what I had to say seriously. And then the red light means stop. Now, some of you guys I know were like, oh my goodness, I've never ever understood that the red means stop. But it does, just so that you know. So green means go, amber means prepare to stop, not speed up, and red means stop. Now, you may be asking, how does the amazing invention of the traffic light have anything to do with us, particularly in a series called Radically Normal, but with us in a place in Zimbabwe as we are today? Well, over the past few weeks, before the end of the year, we looked at what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be clothed in power? What does it mean to be activated in a significant way for what God has for us? And then this uh, this term or these four weeks, we're looking at being radically normal. What does it mean for us to be normal human beings, everyday life, normal conversations, normal workplace, but with something radical, with something different about us? Ian kicked it off last week, challenging us to see that the Holy Spirit's power and the gifts that he gives us, those aren't just for us. They're not for us to receive these things just for our own benefit. They're for the world at large to help advance God's kingdom. And today, I want to lay out a framework for allowing God to work through us in a powerful way, a very practical framework that if each you and I put into practice, we will see God work through us. We'll see the Holy Spirit work through us in a significant way, and then we can get into the specifics of the gifts, but actually all of them will flow through this. And that's why we are going to learn to follow the supernatural traffic light system. Very important. You're going to remember it after today, the supernatural traffic light system. Learning these signals and obeying them will help you operate in the spiritual gifts God gives you as you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Following these lights will lead you into an exciting, into a purposeful life God has for you. And disobeying these signals will lead you to stagnation in your Christian faith, to boredom in church life and what church is all about, to some close shaves when it comes to your spiritual life, and possibly a few accidents that you need to get panel beated up on before you get back on track. So following, incredibly exciting and full of purpose, not following these traffic lights 
could also lead to some scary effects. To help us in this process, we're going to look at two stories, two narratives in the Bible, which I'm going to walk us through. Um, and so we're, we're going to explore those. The first one, I'd love you to turn there with me, is in Exodus. It's a book of the Bible called Exodus. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. It's a narrative format, and uh, you could share with someone next to you. So I don't mind if you have your Bible on your phone. Just have it on airplane mode so you're not looking at uh, WhatsApp and the like. Uh, or your Bible next to you, but uh, let's get reading. So this is the first short story and the second. They operate together. These are two people in the Bible who use the system. They used it to great effectiveness. They had a huge purpose in life. They followed this system. So Exodus 3, verse 1 to 10. This is the first one to kick it off. So here we go. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. For those of you who don't know who Moses is, uh, Moses was um, born... Israelite, and then uh, it was a time in Egypt where all of the Israelite babies were going to get taken out, and uh, his mom put him into the basket, you might have known this, and sent it off down the river, and uh, in the end, he grows up in Pharaoh's household, and through being angry with what's happening to the slaves, he lashed out at some of the slave drivers, ended up murdering one of them, and he headed out into the wilderness, really to escape death, and was continuing his life there. And he ended up doing, uh, meeting up with different people, um, marrying, working um, as a shepherd. So the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, Moses, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am, God, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings and I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The territory of the Canaanites, Hethites or Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. So because the Israelites cry for help, um, their cry for help has come to me and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go. He's not talking directly to Moses. I'm sending you to um, Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. First narrative. First narrative. Second one, keep your finger there, Acts 9. If you're not sure where Acts is, it's towards the end of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you might see then Acts. This is the story of the early church. Acts 9. Acts 9, and we're going to read a very similar type narrative in verses 10 to 19. Acts 9, 10 to 19. Listen up if you don't have a Bible. There was a, so what's just happened is Saul was a man who persecuted Christ followers. He loved it. He thrived on it. There's an amazing movie on it called Paul, the Apostle of Christ, with the same actor from The Passion of Christ. If any of you haven't watched it yet, make sure that you get to watching that. This is, so what's happened is Saul was confronted by Jesus. He was blinded on his road to Damascus to persecute Christians, and he's now um, hiding out. Someone's looked after him. He's hiding out um, in a house there. Verse 10, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he says, here I am, Lord. Verse 11, get up and go to the streets called straight. Very simple then. 
Very easy. Straight street. The Lord said to him, um, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Notice how specific this is, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias said, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And he did suffer much for Jesus. Verse 17, Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, um, something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Two amazing narratives. I'm sure you can sort of see the stories. We're going to look at them a bit more in depth collectively, have huge similarities in terms of the process and these guys following the supernatural traffic light system. So let's look a little deeper and let's start at the green light. So when I talk about the green light, what I'm talking about is someone who is a Christ follower, who's filled with the Spirit, invited God, um, the Holy Spirit to come on them in power, and is walking hard after Jesus Christ or driving hard after Jesus Christ. They're following Jesus, living for him. God is a priority in their lives. If you want to be used by Jesus, first step, if you want to be used by Jesus, if you want to live a life of purpose, it's not going to come from giving him 70%. It's not. It's going to, be, it's going to come from driving in top gear straight after Jesus Christ with him being priority in your life. It's so easy for us to go, Jesus, I do want to follow you, but I also really want to hang on to this. I do want to follow you, but actually this part of my life, I'm going to just keep control of. Or I am going to put my trust in you, but not in this area. And unfortunately, that is the surefire way to never live a life of purpose for Jesus. Because what happens is, is he's not in control then. And you're trying to take it. And because he's such a good father and because he's not a controller, what he does is he calls us and he draws us. He says, this is what I've got for you. But we can still hold back from that. And so first way in terms of living green light, um, starting point for Jesus, is to give him everything. So not try to hang on to some of your life, but to give him control of all of it. And then you, you start to go into that. Then you, if you don't, you'll get frustrated, you'll get annoyed with Jesus. Jesus calls us to lay down our lives for his sake, to take up our cross, to live as Christ, to die as gain, to preach Jesus and him crucified. The list could go on, but that's the green light place to be. So when you're living all out for Jesus, when you're committed to him, when you're running hard after him, you're in the green light spot. That's the spot to get to. That's the starting spot as the Christ follower. It doesn't mean perfect, but it means our heart is to follow him. We'll never be perfect. We're always going to have mess. But our deep-seated heart desire is saying, Jesus, I want you as priority. And in many respects, that's where Moses and Ananias were at. So Moses, although he had fled, and he shouldn't have done that, he's now married, he's now tending the flocks, he's looking after them, he's doing a good job for his father-in-law, and he's operating properly. Ananias is a disciple, he's living his life, he's following Jesus in the midst of tough persecution, but they're in the green light phase, I would like to call it. Not perfect, issues in their lives, but living for Jesus in that place. Regardless of your occupation, regardless of your age, regardless of your wealth status, regardless of your standing that you believe you have in society, we can all get into the green light zone. 
all of us. God's grace is open to everyone, and His invitation to a life of purpose is there for everyone. So what sums up the green light zone? Well, I would say a love for Jesus and others. It's fairly straightforward. A love for Jesus and others. I would say a heart to obey, a heart to take Jesus over everything else in society. Say, God, I don't really care what I see in media, what I see in the news, but I'm taking your word as truth. And combined with that, a little bit of courage. We're going to talk a bit more on courage, but those are some of the elements of living in the green light zone. So that's what these guys are doing. That's what you may be in. If not, you sort of have some tools to get in there. And then what happens? You're driving along, and then it switches down to the next light. So we reach the amber light. Summed up, or not the flashing ones. We see those a lot here. So I'm talking about when they work in proper, proper succession. That's summed up by being in a place where you're prepared to be inconvenienced for Jesus' sake. So we're running hard in the green light, we're driving hard in the green light zone. And then the amber light is the phase where our heart set is going, because I love Jesus, because he's changed my heart, I'm prepared to be inconvenienced for his sake. You're asking God to show you someone to impact. You're asking him for a situation for you to bring his kingdom. You're willing to slow down your day and your plans and your activities to ask God if there's something that he would like you to do in those situations. It's a place where you're prepared to be inconvenienced, where you're available for the king to break into your plans, to break into your calendar and your schedule for you to bring a bit of his kingdom into that situation. Maybe something pops up. Maybe you have an impression. Maybe someone's name jumps into your heart. Maybe you notice someone out of the corner of your eye in the shopping center. But you're not going to notice that, or you are. You're going to keep you're going to keep driving unless you're prepared to be inconvenienced for the sake of the king. This happened with Moses and Ananias. In Exodus 3, what happens is, is Moses sees this burning bush. Now, where he was and doing the job he did, there would have been many fires, loads of burning bushes everywhere. What was significant is that something, an impression, thought from God, made him turn aside from his daily tending the sheep to go, there's something slightly different about this bush. Because then you see it says, he then turned aside. He was going, he noticed it, but he took a closer look. He decided, I'm going to be a little bit inconvenienced from my job to take a closer look. Ananias had a vision. He had a dream, a trance. Many definitions, if you look at the Greek uh, definition of what it says, that we had a vision. And he could have just brushed that off and gone, ah, it's just a bit of a dream, a strange one. It's just a dream. I'm not going to take notice. I'm not going to ask God if maybe that's something more. Maybe there's something deeper to that. But he did. He looked a bit closer. He had the vision and he was like, I don't just think this is a normal dream. I don't think this is just me having a siesta daydreaming. There's something else to this. I'm going to ask God the question. So they asked the question. If you want to be used by Jesus, you'll need to be willing to be inconvenienced. To ask God each and every day to keep you aware of who or what situation he wants you to bring him into. And in the moment, you'll need to ask him what he wants you to do but you've got to be willing. If you're not willing, you're going to miss out on the purpose he has for you. You're going to go through your daily motion. You're going to be so stuck into it. You're going to miss out on the amazing, miraculous, Holy Spirit-filled moments that he has for you and I to walk into each day. It's going to take being prepared to be inconvenienced. There's so many moments like this. I could share numbers, and to be honest with you guys up front, there's been so many times where I'm driving in the green light zone, and I, and I have these little impressions or this little challenge, like look a bit closer, too busy, God, can't care, poof, and off I go. 
So many, too many to count. But there's been a few where a friend of mine at school, uh, his dad's a, a government minister, and uh, he had died, and I, I, for a few days, I'd had this thought in my mind, um, you, you need to go and visit this government minister. You need to talk to him. You need to talk to him about the Lord. And I was like, nah, no, no. Eventually, the day that I was going back to varsity, this impression, this thought, whatever you want to call it from God, was so strong, I was like, I have to do it. So I said to my mom and dad, guys, I might not see you again. It might be the end of me, but I'm going for it. So no appointments, nothing. I just rocked up at the house. I knew where they lived, and there's all the police outside. And uh, the, the, anyway, I just said, well, this is what I'm doing. I want to bring a condolence card, and I want to you know, talk or whatever else. It was mid-morning, and I was hoping I could just pop it in the post box. They were like, no, nope, out your car. Come with us. And I was like, it's definitely my death. Um, and <laughs> this is it. And uh, as we walk through, I'm like, sort of my heart's racing, but I'm trying to go, but, um, you know, so is there a reason why I'm coming with you? Where are we going? And then, and then they're like, no, the minister's here. You know, you know he, he'll want to see you. So we, uh, you know, headed in, and that eased me a little bit. And we, we had a chat, and, and we could pray, and I could share my heart. Um, and I don't think he's necessarily changed now, but it was an opportunity where for days I'd been hearing this amber or seeing this amber light flashing. For days, it's like, this is your inconvenience that I have for you. And praise the Lord, he gave me a number of days. And, and I went there, and it was such a fulfilling time for both of us. Um, on, on camp more recently, uh, uh, Zamhol's camp that we used to do, uh, water sports is a huge part of the activity. So water sports from the, the motorboats to whatever else, we, we had two great speedboats at the time, and both of them died um, weren't working that day of camp. So I was, we got to leaders and I was like, and you've got like a hundred kids who are just desperate. It's the only reason they've come. They're like, we don't come for Jesus. We come for the food and the activity. Then we nail them with the gospel. It's perfect. Uh, so um, <laughs> that's, that, that's what we do. So um, we, we, we're there and we're down at the lake and we, we're there with like 40 of the kids and, and we're, the, the boats are not starting. We had done the test before camp. We had run the test. We had done all the servicing. They weren't starting at all. And then the boat batteries died from trying so hard. And then the pull thing also broke from the one. I mean, it was just the most horrific time. And I had this amber light going. You need to get all of these boys together and you need to pray for the motor to start. And I was like, Lord, this is pathetic. Of course, it's not going to happen. The batteries are dead. We've already tried that. The pull thing is not working, and we've now ripped it out. Um, so, so that's also going to work. This is impossible. So, so anyway, and it keeps flashing for a while, like half an hour, and I'm wandering around, and my heart's beating, like, no, you've got to get them around to pray. I'm like, Lord, that's pathetic, and that's so embarrassing. It's not going to work. And I mean, the list just goes on. You guys know what it's like. Should I talk to that person? Shouldn't I? Should I pray for them? Shouldn't I? Oh, no, but am I not? I mean, we, we go through this. Let's, let's be real. So I... Uh, eventually I was like, no, this is what we're going to do. Get them together, and we're going to pray that what we'll do is we'll try and get another string. We'll tie it with another. We'll try and wrap it around the internal pull wheel, and we'll see if we can just get one, one going. So I got all these 50 kids, half of them not Christians. It's like, guys, we're going to pray, and this boat is going to start, and we're going to have a great day, and it's going to work for the rest of camp. It's going to be perfect. And uh, you could just see them. We'd been trying for 45 minutes, and you could just see them going... Oh, fine, and they all wonder. They've been throwing mud at each other, and they're all angry anyway. We get together, and uh, we, we, we do this prayer thing. And I'm honest. I didn't have very much faith there, so I, but I went for it. And I was like, great, guys. It's going to start. Let's get ready. So I got all the leaders around. We did our little like pull start thing, and uh, we, we, we got ready and poof, went for it like crazy. It was the most unbelievable miracle after trying for hours to make it happen. It started, and we had to keep it running the whole camp. We couldn't switch it off because now that thing was... So we, we used it for that day. Then we managed to like ship someone in. But it was the most amazing example of an amber light flashing and then God bringing amazing life change to 50-odd kids there. So there's so many that you could share. But 
the, the amber light will flash in your life. It will flash often. If you ask God to use you, it will flash every day. It's your choice whether you turn aside or not. So the red light. It's the amber one. The red light. Five minutes left. The red light, fairly self-explanatory, is you're running hard after God. You have in your heart, you're prepared to be inconvenienced. So you turn aside, as Moses and I did. Then what you do is you stop, and you wait for God to tell you what to do in that situation. You don't just act. Get prepared to be inconvenienced. You stop. You listen. You wait for God's direction. In Exodus, um, he fed whatever else. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire within uh, within a bush. As Moses looked, he suddenly saw this bush was a bit different. That's why I told you about the turning aside. So he thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? Look at this. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. He answered, here I am. And then God speaks. So he went over. He stops. He sees what's happening. God calls. He says, yes, I'm listening. I'm prepared to hear what you're saying now, God. Then God tells him what to do. Ananias was the same. So Ananias in the dream. He has the dream. God speaks to him. Ananias, he stops. And he says, here I am. Prepared to listen. I've stopped, I'm waiting, I'm prepared to listen. God will give you enough clarity. He will give you impressions, thoughts, pictures, but you need to stop, you need to listen, you need to wait. Got to do that. So you turn aside and then you stop and you say, okay, God, in this situation, this person I've just seen out of the corner of my eye, pick and pay, this petrol attendant, this family member where the conversation, suddenly something's shifted in the conversation, I sort of feel you might have something for me to say. You wait and you listen. He'll tell you. He'll tell you. Might not be incredibly clear. You'll get used to his voice. You'll get used to how he speaks to you, a picture or a thought. That'll happen over time. But, but he'll tell you. He'll nudge you in the right direction. It might even be just start talking. And then just, hey, this is kind of weird. But um, <laughs> I don't know you, but I sort of feel like I'm supposed to be talking to you right now. Uh, it's kind of strange. I listen to God sometimes, and he's kind of just told me that I should come over here. So, so here I am. And uh, anyway, anything, anything I can pray for. I mean, you know what I mean. The list grown, But God will get you to act first. You don't have to see... See the whole end from the beginning. Just start. Start on that motion once you've stopped and waited. So once you stop and wait and you hear what he has to say. He said to Moses, this is what I've got for you. He said to Anais, this is what I have for you. Then we have the choice. Either we move into what he's got for us, or we're like, no, God, I did get the amber light, and now it's the red light, but I'm definitely just making it up. I'm definitely making it up. I'm going to go on my way. And then we miss out. And that's the worst time to miss out. Because now you've already gone to the amber light. You've already moved. Now you know he's asking you to do something. That's the most depressing time to walk out of pick and pay. I should have spoken to that person. I should have. I should have spoken to them. I should have. Then you get in the car. Then eventually you're driving down the road and you're like, oh, I have to speak to them. You turn around and then they're gone. Missed out on your opportunity. So, so that's, the, that's the hard part. And for many of us, I think this is the key spot. We may be prepared to be inconvenienced. Then he asks us to do something. And then fear, concern, will I have the right words to say? Will God really move with the power of spirit? That holds us back. This is the part to defeat. It's the movement from red back into the green motion of what God's called us to. It's the most scary step of faith. It's the place before you jump off the 10-meter diving board or the bungee jump, but it's the most exhilarating. That step when you are obedient, the step when you know he said for you to do something and you just start moving in the right direction. That's the life of purpose. That's the life of joy. That's what we're after. Moses and Ananias both had concerns. In most cases, theirs were a lot larger than ours. 
Moses was, is he going to kill me? Ananias was, this guy's just been killing Christians. You're asking me to go talk to him. I'm going to die. That's a lot more serious than us going, will this person think I'm a bit of a fruitcake? Or what am I going to say? Will I mumble? Will I sound silly? Is this going to be weird? Yes, those are valid concerns. We need to ask God those. But these guys had some serious concerns. It was life and death for them. They were like, surely not God. They had all these questions. Didn't, they, didn't Saul used to do this? Didn't Pharaoh used to do this? It's worth it. It's worth it for Jesus' kingdom. It's worth it for eternal reward. It's worth it for a life of purpose. Go for it. Go for it this week. So just as I close, remember those supernatural traffic lights. Remember the green light. Run hard after Jesus. Give him all of your life. Give him everything. That's the first step. Number two, be prepared to be inconvenienced for the king. Be prepared to be available and for your diary and your calendar to be messed up because the king of the universe wants you to do something you hadn't planned before. Be prepared and ready for that. Red light, stop, wait, listen. Listen for his voice. Listen for what he's telling you to do in that situation and then go. Get back onto the green go light and then wait for the next amber. And then the cycle repeats itself. Two rhymes as I pray um, that I hope challenge you to action that uh, have been going around in my head. Be, be, be inconvenienced for, Jesus, for being inconvenienced for Jesus' sake is the only way to break the fake. And what I mean by that is it's easy for us to live fake, fluffy Christianity. Oh, yes, I'm a Christian. I go to church on a Sunday, and I do this, and I read my Bible. But the world never sees the reality of God within us. The world never sees it because we live in these isolated silos. And if you will be prepared to be inconvenienced for Jesus' sake, you will break fake Christianity, and you'll move into the reality of what Jesus called us to be on this earth. So being inconvenienced um, for Jesus' sake is the only way to break the fake. And this one about fear. When you're on the red light, I'm a brilliant rhymer. Amazing. I'm going to release my latest album soon. Get ready. Um, the final one. When it's in that red light phase and you're going, I just don't know if I've got the courage to act. Lord, I know you're talking to me, but I'm a little bit scared. If you want to break the fear, you have to keep moving from neutral to first gear. It's a bit better, eh? If you want to break the fear, if you want to get rid of the fear that Satan puts on your heart, that you're worried about what people will think or whatever else, you have to force yourself to just move from neutral and get yourself into first gear. If you want to break the fear, move yourself from neutral to first gear. Great. you want to stand? I want to pray for us. Let's stand. We're close. We can all stand together. Lord Jesus, the heart, my heart's desire for myself and for us as a church is that we would live the supernatural traffic light system. My heart's desire is that we wouldn't give you 70%. We'd give it all to you. It's the first step. We'd run hard after you. We'd flee from sin. We'd run towards righteousness. We would, we would stake our our colors to the mast. We would look to you and you alone. We would, we would live for you and everything. Ask that that would be the first step, hallmark of my life, hallmark for ours as a church. Secondly, Jesus, may you, I ask that you'd inconvenience us crazily this week. I ask that you would, you would flash those amber lights like they've never flashed before. And I ask more than anything, Holy Spirit, you would sit deep within our hearts that you are worth being inconvenienced for. Jesus, that you are worth us being available for and letting our days and our calendars and our schedules be messed up for your sake because your body and your life was messed up for ours. You paid a great price for us, Jesus, on the cross. 
a great price because you loved us that much. And I ask that you would fill us to overflowing with a love for others, a love for the lost and the broken. We would be prepared to see those amber lights and we'd be prepared to move on them. I ask that you would help us to stop in the world in which we live, in the culture in which we live. It is so difficult to stop and wait and listen. I ask that we would do that. So you'd help us to do that today, even as we drive away from church. But I ask you to help us to do that. And then finally, I ask you to help us to break the fear. I ask you to help us when you speak to us. Help us to have the courage and the boldness and even to laugh at ourselves in the process to step out. Because I know that as we step out, mumbling with words we don't really know or a picture that doesn't really make sense or just in the strangest of circumstances, I know that's the only way for us to access the supernatural life you have for us. It's the only way for us to be radically normal, to be normal everyday people who talk normally, who act normally, but we're just prepared to listen for you and then we're prepared to step out. Jesus, I ask for us as a church, ask you to move us into this. Ask you to do it supernaturally. Holy Spirit, you're within us. Um, so many of us last um, year, we got, we, we, we got clothed in power. Know that you're within us, but I know for the gifts to flow, I know for the supernatural to happen, it takes us living out the system. I ask you to help us to do that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.